In our text today, there's a lot of red letters. It's Jesus. And if you would, in all respect, he's kind of going off. He's kind of like freaking out a little bit. I bet I wasn't there, but I bet his voice was raised. He might have been pointing. I mean, there, there could have been some sweat beating up on somebody's forehead. There were emotions for sure. People got their feelings hurt. One guy stops him in the middle of his speech, says, you're hurting my feelings, Jesus. Can you stop? Jesus doesn't stop. He turns it up. As a matter of fact, when I was studying this portion of scripture, my daughter, my six-year-old, Acacia, she came over and looked. She said, there's a lot of red letters in that text. You know, <laughs> there's a lot, of, a lot of Jesus going. I was like, yeah, Jesus is kind of going nuts. And I want you to understand that because you've got to ask yourself, well, who's he mad at? Who's he yelling at? Is it a drug dealer? Is it a, is it a bad guy? Is it an abuser? A bully? Is it a terrorist? A thief? A liar? Somebody who's out there mean mugging everybody and doing bad stuff, thugging and drugging. Is it that guy? It's actually the opposite. It's not the people in this ditch over here, the rebels, okay, the carnal Christians, the ones that have sin in their lives, but they also have a little bit of God in their lives, and it's just kind of commingled, and Jesus needs to get in their face, okay? We need to welcome him into our space, deal with me. He's not dealing with that group today. He's in the other ditch today, dealing with not the rebels, but the religious. The religious. The religious. And some of you who are visiting, you're like, I thought religious was good. You know, I, I thought you were religious. And I love when people ask me or I invite them to church, oh, no thanks, I'm not religious. And I'm like, neither am I. That's why I go to South Beach. You know, like, I'm not religious either. And it usually, you know, fries a little mainframe real quick. I'm not religious either. I'm like, oh, thank the Lord, me too. And so here Jesus deals with the most religious people you'll ever even imagine. And he's not impressed with them. He doesn't want to be a part of their team. He doesn't want to learn from them. As a matter of fact, his very opening words, at least in this text, is pointing at them saying, y'all wrong. Thanks for having me over for dinner. And things get weird. Now I say that because Jesus, whether he's talking to this group over here, the rebels, and by the way, I'm looking at you, y'all rebels. Yeah, y'all got something in your heart. I'm not going to let go of that. I'm not going to let go of that. That's mine. That's my stuff. Hey, Jesus, back off. This is my fill in the blank. This is my attitude. This is my agenda. This is my, what, I'm a Christian, but I ain't going to clean that up. And you're a rebel. And you know what Jesus is going to say to you? I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep, and I love you. And he's going to get real near to you. And he looks at you like a shepherd does. And you're trying to blend in with the other sheep. And he looks at you and you're like, you look like you've been rolling in the mud. You're like, no, this is just a tan, you know. And Jesus walks through the other sheep. And he's like, no, you got to get washed up. Like, that's what the shepherd does. He can tell you've been all messed up and got briars in your hair, you know, your wool. And, you're all, and, he, and he, he fixes you. And he gets in the business of the rebels. And I'm so thankful. And I would just raise my hand. I'm a rebel. I got, and and I'm, oh, I still got the Lord just calling me on my stuff daily. Still, daily. And I'm like, oh did I really do that? He's like, yeah, you totally did that. Did I say that? Yeah, you totally said that. Oh, no. Did I just think that? And the Lord's like, oh, are you that deceived? You totally said that. You're crazy. I'm like, and the Lord comes into my life, and you could be honest with me or lie to yourself about being a rebel as well, but you're all rebels, okay? And Jesus says, I, don't, I, I want all of you. I want to be the light, and I'm going to shine, and I'm going to show you the path. And it's no longer a pick a path. Okay, I picked the path. And then he jumps over here to the religious side. Maybe something you're not necessarily familiar with. Some of you are. 
where Jesus then gets into your grill, and he says, why are you doing it that way? And you say, well, this way makes me feel good. This way makes me appear righteous. This way sets me apart from the other sheep. I'm not sure if you noticed how white my wool is. And the Lord says, I don't necessarily care. I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep. And Jesus is going to have words with a religious bunch of people today that have taken their own preferences, which you all have, okay, your own religious style, which is fine, and then they've elevated it equal to God's word. They put it equal to what God has said is required. They say, ours is required too. We made some more rules. And God's like, time out. <laughs> you don't get to make the rules. I make the rules. In the book of the law, the Old Testament, there are 613 rules, commandments that God gave us to live, what to do, what not to do. And the religious people say, 613? We can double that. Just give us some time. You know? and, and Jesus says, don't double it. Why are you making more rules? Bottom line is this. Jesus is the shepherd. You're the sheep. And so today you get a chance. Maybe you're a rebel. You understand he's the shepherd, but you don't want to submit everything. You don't want to submit things in your life, your thought life, your experience, your sex life, your, your finances, your, your motivation, your, your reputation. You don't want to, I'm going to keep that. And the Lord says, let's go. Let's go. You give it to me. Trust me. I'm, I know what I'm doing. Or you're on this side and you're proud of yourself. You don't need what Jesus has to offer. You're kind of in competition with him as far as your righteousness. And the Lord's going to come to your house and say, we need to talk. We need to talk. So before we do that, I don't, I don't know what camp you're in. Maybe just pause. Matter of fact, let's pray. Close your eyes. And I'm going to ask the Lord to identify which camp you're in. Some of you might be in both camps, by the way. Okay. You're a rebellious religious person. And all you need to do today is say, Lord, would you just come in and shepherd me? Because he's so nice. He's so good. And Lord, we, there's not much we can do. As a matter of fact, we can get crazy. We can get nuts. We can start examining ourselves and examining others. And I don't think you'd have us do that. Instead, I think you would have us listen to the shepherd's voice. And, and, and we would just then let you decide and show us what areas of our life we're rebellious in. Where we want you, but not, not all of you. We want the comfort and the peace that comes from knowing Jesus, but we don't want the control that, that you bring in saying what's right and wrong. Or maybe you're in the other camp and you're religious and you don't even know why you're at this church and you're looking for more people wearing suits and ties, but they ain't here today. You got your own set of rules and we've all broken them as far as you're concerned. And you think you're more righteous than anybody else and you don't consider the Lord's offering to you on the cross and you're an offense to him. And you need to repent of your self-righteousness, your pride, your lack of love, all the things that we're going to see in the religious community that Jesus exposes today. Lord, I pray for your help as a teacher. I just, I'm a student today. And yet, I'm asked to teach. So I'm learning. Even as I read this over and over, I just, I'm, I'm still learning from you, Jesus. And I pray for the mercies and the graces to teach this well, that we, Lord, would leave here more like you, less like ourselves. That Anybody in either camp would then find themselves, Lord, on the road, near to you. We thank you, Jesus, for this time. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would set it aside now for our, entitled, or for our edification and for our equipping, that we would be better, near to you, more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...
Amen. Now, before I begin, let me just give you a definition of religion, because I am using religion in a negative context today, and I don't want anybody to misunderstand me, because most people, without giving it much thought, would think religion's a good thing, especially in contrast to rebellion, and yet Jesus looks at rebellion and religion and says, both y'all off target. Both of you guys aren't where you need to be, the religious as well. So before the first service began, I jotted down what I would say a working definition of religion, and I gave, actually three definitions came up because I'm kind of crazy like that. So here, here, here's what came out of my pen just about an hour ago. A religion or religious people have their own set of rules that they seek to serve by their own power and to their own praise. If you're religious, you have your own rules that you're going to accomplish by your own power, your own dedication, your own discipline. Why? For your own praise. I'm not going to do this. Why? Well, because I can. I've chosen rules that I can actually do. I, I've chosen a, a hurdle height that I can actually get over by my own strength. And when I get over that hurdle height, I feel good. And I look around at other people that can't go over that hurdle height. Oh, that's too bad. Maybe one day you'll be like me. Until then, I'll just do it again for you to watch. And that's re it's religion. And it actually feels good. It actually seems good because I'm jumping over a hurdle, man. And yet the Lord says, I'd never asked you to jump over a hurdle. That's ridiculous. Why are you jumping over hurdles? Why are you doing this? You're adding to my word? My word is sufficient. Here's another definition that came out of my pencil this morning. Religion is being holy without God and as God. Now, this is a secular view of religion. I, I, am, I am able to accomplish my own standard of holiness, and it's not by God's gift or power or offering of holiness, and I am actually my own God. I, I'm actually the winner of my own little sphere. And religions do this, religious people do this, secular, religious, irreligious, religious people do this, where we set up our own standards, and the Lord says, that's offensive. The third one I'll give you is this, just so you understand what I'm speaking of in the negative sense of religion. Religion isn't a means to know God, but it's an end to avoid God. And this is some of the most important thing you could consider at church. Why do you go to church? I feel better. Well, you're doing it wrong. Why did you read your Bible in the morning? Oh, I feel good when I do. What? Why do you say no to this thing and yes to that? Why do you go serve at the homeless kitchen? Oh, it just makes me feel good. Feel Really? I think you might be religious. Now, going to church, reading your Bible, and going to the soup kitchen are all good things. But if it's religious, then it's religious as a means or should I say it this way, not as a means, but as an end. I'm just religious. That's what I want to do. I don't want to know God. I'm not even in, into that at all. And that is religion. If you know any religious denominations, I could list a whole bunch in my mind. I won't. People that are gathering even on this Sunday by the hundreds and thousands of people in churches feeling very religious. They didn't care about anybody but themselves. They did not connect with God. They didn't do anything right or righteous as far as he is concerned, and they're religious, and the Lord now is going to fight them. Again, wrap your mind around this. I would agree that Jesus should go after the abusers and the weirdos and the violent and all the, the thugs and drugs. I he should go out there and fight them, you know, and, and Jesus does have words for them. But the amount of red letters and the amount of energy Jesus uses towards religious people kind of just blows my mind. Like, well, we should really stop and think about this. Legalism, religion, as it pertains to using our own power and pride and not giving God the glory but ourselves the glory is an offense to him. I asked you earlier if you guys are rebellious, and then I filled in the blank, y'all rebellious. Here's the bad news. Y'all religious too. Okay? Every one of you got some sort of religion going on, something inside of you that makes you feel better when you do it. And the Lord says, what if you don't do that? What if you smash that hurdle and fall over it? Where's your righteousness then? Nah. And he would say, it's from me. It always was. 
My righteousness is in Christ and Christ alone. It is a gift of God through grace, by faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the message. That's what we need to see. So Jesus here goes toe-to-toe with these guys because he never misses an opportunity to teach us. Now, look at verse 33. This is where we left off last week. He says this, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but instead on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus is speaking of himself as that light. Remember when he had just healed this guy, this demon with the mute spirit, and he said, I'm not going to give you any more signs because there were two camps. One said, hey, prove it to us that you're God. He's like, no. Other people said, we don't think you're God. You're just using Beelzebub. And so he said, don't forget Jonah. Don't forget Solomon. And don't forget how light works. Light comes on and you see unless you're blind. Ooh, it's an indictment. Light works just fine. When the light comes on, you know exactly what's going on unless your eye's broken is what he said. When the light goes in, your eye's broken, your whole body is bad, it's because you choose to close your eyes to Jesus Christ as the light of the world. That's what he's teaching. So here's the big idea. Jesus is saying to rebels and to the religious, I'm the light. When you turn me on, I show where to go. I determine what's right and wrong. You don't get to have that privilege and power anymore. (laughs) All the religious people, (laughs) all the rebellious people, (laughs) all the people with asthma, (laughs) you know, just start freaking out, you know. He said, what? You're not. Remember, he's talking to people that were dismissing him and discrediting him. Do some more and then we'll believe. He's like, what are you talking about? The light goes on. You see or you don't see. The light can't do anything else. It's done. It's here. It's evident. What's your your play, rebel? What's your play, religious person? Are you going to negotiate with the light of the world? And this is the first question I would ask you here today. Is Jesus the center of your life? Or is he a nightlight in the hallway of your darkness? I just like a little nightlight. I like a little Jesus to feel good. Man, I just love a little bit of Jesus so I don't, you know, fully walk off a cliff. And I'm walking, it's pretty dark in my house, like spiritually, but I got Jesus there. And there's a lot of things that are out of order. Or is Jesus the light? Does he decide what's right and what's wrong? Where you go and where you don't go? What you like and what you don't like? What you say yes to and what you, does he decide that? It's just a simple question. Which can I just tell you this right now it needs to be that way here's another question in the negative sense where in your life right now are you trying to get jesus removed from just you know i don't want him there in my finances i kind of got this whole thing going on and i know it's a little shady in the irs if they call me i start to sweat you know and all this and my wife doesn't know where all the money went but we got a lot of bitcoin you know whatever you know i got this or i'm i'm not really good with my money and i'm going to the casino all the time or i got this money and i haven't given ties and all or whatever i just don't want jesus to just just don't shine the light there. Or maybe it's your entertainment or your thought life or your sex life. I don't want the Lord to, to go in there. Do I want to go to heaven? For sure, I'm no dummy. But do I want the Lord to be the light? What areas right now are you hiding from the Lord? You want the Lord just to calm down and not really expose that. How is Jesus even right now revealing himself? And how are you responding to it? And, and, uh, I'll tell you what. This gets scary until it's not scary anymore. Until you realize that he's the shepherd. Until you trust him. You're like, hey, Lord, you know what? Turns out, like, I'm a weirdo. And every time I get money or, you know, think about this or have power or prestige or an opportunity, I pervert it. I just get weird. I'm weird every single time. Lord, would you just come in and be bright in my life? Would you search me? Would you search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in it and lead me in the way everlasting? It, 
I'll be honest, it takes a while for Christians to get to that point. You're like, I don't know, man, I, I don't want to, I don't want to jacking up my whole system. Can I just say something? When you let Jesus jack up your whole system, okay, your system finally gets set right. Your life finally finds purpose. I just spent a few minutes with a friend of mine who's a high school student in my office before I prayed for him. He said, I'm just going through depression. I'm just, I'm sad. I don't know what, you know. I said, here's the deal. You need to fully surrender everything, including your high school experience to Jesus. Because in high school, it's a big joke. You think it's all about being the, you know, go, the homecoming king and, and having a girlfriend, being a sports person and making the book, you know, the yearbook and most likely to succeed. And you think it's so important. Oh! In reality, you're a Christian. High school is going to come and go. Your life is for him and his glory. And when you figure that out, let me just tell you, rebels, whatever side you're on, whatever camp you're in, who I don't want Jesus to fully take over, when you wake up every morning and say, oh, not my will, but thy will be done, it is liberating. You might in your religious stance, I don't want to give Jesus everything. That sounds constricting. He's going to be a weirdo. He's going to ride my case. He's going to take me places I don't want to go. Can I just confess to you? In every area of my life, I'm now 39 years old. Every area of my life where I've wrestled with the Lord for my way, eh, dumb, ends in failure and pain every single time. In every area of my life, when I've surrendered, even in, I don't know what God wants, it has ended in beauty and in purpose and in redemption and power and provision and protection. The Lord's the shepherd, and he wants you to know that. Are you letting him be the light. Now the religious people over here, they don't want Jesus taken over like that. The rebellious people over here, they don't want Jesus taken over like that. They just want enough of Jesus to make them feel good, not actually become, dare I say, what God intended them to be from the inside out. Now let's see how the story progresses. Look at verse 37. We're in brand new territory. It says, and as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus is speaking, he's teaching, and all of a sudden the Pharisee's like, dude, we're about to go have some food. Would you like to come over? And Jesus does something crazy. He says, yes. The book of Revelation says that Jesus knocks on your door of your heart, and whoever opens up, he'll come in and he'll sup with. In other words, Jesus never turns down a meal, okay? He's always willing to fellowship with people. He's not going to, he's no dummy. He's not going to say no to free food. But he goes over to this guy's house. I point that out because this guy is a religious nutball. This guy's crazy. This guy's off his rocker. This guy's way over here. He's got a big old hat, a big old robe, big old sleeves, big old book of rules that he made up on his own. And he says, hey, Jesus, want to come over? And if I were in Jesus' shoes, I'd be like, you know what? No. No. Have you seen my other friends? Jesus would say, my other friends. We're going to go back to their house. We're going to play darts, and we're going to have chicken wings, man. You guys know Jesus' other friends were crazy, right? The Bible teaches that plainly. Jesus was a friend of sinners, okay? He had some crazy roughneck friends, some thugs. Even his 12 disciples, terrorists, government officials, crooks and thieves, fishermen. He had a bunch of roughnecks around him. The Bible says that he was a friend of sinners, wine-bibbers. He was even accused of being those guys. You would see Jesus hanging out with girls in clear heels. Some of his friends had nine millimeters in their jackets, you know, some of the people that would follow Jesus just got done filming a rap video as extras, you know, and they're hanging out, and they're by the pool, and Jesus, the Bible says that the common person received Jesus gladly, okay, the, the normal people. I think that's why our church is kind of built the way it is. We've got a lot of normal people who are going to play darts and pool afterwards and all the rest, and Jesus loves you. Let me qualify all of that, lest you misunderstand, because Jesus loved sinners. He hung out with sinners. Jesus never condoned their sin. He never encouraged their sin. Je Jesus never uh, applauded it. As a matter of fact, like a doctor, 
would be around sick people to fix them. Jesus said, I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the sinners. I'm here for the ones who know it. I'm not here to say good job on whatever your sin is and darts and chicken wings and pool and all that. That's not a sin. But those people had nefarious activities in their lifestyle. Jesus was there to fix them. And I'm, I appreciate that. That's why I think, again, our church is built the way it is. We've got a lot of people who don't necessarily have everything put together on the outside. And yet Jesus says, I love you on the inside. Would you let me in there and we'll work from the inside out and all this other stuff and the clear heels and the nine millimeter and the bump and bass and all that. We'll just work all that out later. Okay? That's not what I I'm, I'm not really worried about that. I want your heart. We get that. We understand that. So then when Jesus says, I'm going to go to this guy's house too, I, for one, learn a lesson. I don't want to go hang out with the religious stuffy people and the people that are doing things and they're all you know, high and pious and all of that. Jesus, though, is not only not going to turn down a meal with anybody who invites him in, he's also not going to turn down a teachable moment. If you're here, you're a rebel, invite him in. Say, Lord, would you just come over and just dine with me? He's going to teachable moment. He's going to teach you something. And maybe you're religious here. You're like, man, how, when is this? I got to get out of here. This place is crazy. He's talking about nine millimeters at church, you know. Whatever caliber you carry, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so... Jesus is going to minister to each one of us right where we're at. Look at verse 39. I'm sorry, verse 38. It says, when the Pharisee saw it, he's at his house now, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Now the plot thickens, and we get right to the heart of the story. Jesus is here at this guy's house. Everyone's walking in. Jesus has been preaching all day. Everyone begins to then go through their religious ceremonies to eat. Not Jesus. Jesus sits down at the table. Starts reaching over to the bowl of mashed potatoes, okay, right away. And this guy is amazed. Like, what the heck is he doing? He can't be, that's not how we, we don't sit down and just grab the taters, Jesus. You got to wash your hands first. And all the PRL people are like, yeah, wash your hands first, you know. We're not talking sanitizer here. We're talking ceremonial cleansing. This is a ceremonial cleansing that is not biblical, but is ceremonially traditional that they had developed, these religious guys, before they eat in order to prove their holiness and their worth. They had put this together on their own, writing their own rules, and they had adopted it, and everyone knew it. Even Jesus knew it. He was a good Jewish boy. And so Jesus comes and he sits down and on purpose smiles, I think. I didn't wash. Did you guys notice I didn't wash? I'm going to eat now. And he begins to then go against the religious system. Because the Bible gives us enough rules, okay? There's enough rules in there. And when you add to God's rules, it's an offense. 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And the religious guys are like, let's make more, you know? And Jesus is like, why are you doing that? Stop making more rules. And instead of making rules, we need to look at Jesus who fulfilled all of the rules, this was so important to these guys. This specific rule, as a matter of fact, uh, they would take an eggshell and a half of water, okay, pour it on one hand, and kind of rub it and wash it down their elbows, but not all the way to their elbow, otherwise it would drip on themselves and they would be ceremonially unclean, but it would come to the forearm and drip to the ground. Then they would go back down and they would do it this way and that way, and they would do it more than once during the course of the meal, proving how holy they were by their outward appearance. And Jesus comes in and sits down and says, I don't recognize that rule. That's a dumb rule. Y'all got dumb rules. As a matter of fact, it was so important to them. If you didn't obey this rule, you could get, and people did, excommunicated from Jewish families and societies and meals, and you were not righteous anymore based on their own rules. One guy goes down in Jewish history. He was in jail in Rome for something else, and when they served him his daily rations, he got his food. Instead of drinking the water they gave him, he washed his hands. And he went down in their history as a hero, even though he almost died of dehydration. And Jesus comes and he says, yeah, that's a 
really dumb rule. And he'll go on to unpack it, using it as a springboard for all the rules that these guys had amassed, putting upon people as yokes and burdens, heavy loads. He said, you guys are making more and more rules, rules, rules for people. You don't even do the rules. This is an easy one. Wash your hands. Give me a break. And so Jesus sits down, makes this a very teachable moment. And the people, people do this, though. They make their own rules, and they get, they get confused, and they get convicted over stuff that Jesus never said to get convicted over. And then the problem is, and by the way, you're allowed to have preference, okay? So don't misunderstand me. You have a preference today? Good. Good job. If it's not biblical, it's your preference between you and the Lord. Keep that preference to yourself. Pray about it. Email it to somebody else, and then hit delete. But when your preference becomes law, and you say, I prefer it this way. This is how I seek the Lord. Okay, I've got to be on my knees. I've got to be on my knees in the morning. I've got to seek the Lord. And I seek the Lord before I have coffee and before I go on Facebook. If I don't, it's a sin. It's probably a sin for you too. And, and when I drive in my car, I don't listen to secular music. I don't listen to Christian music. If you listen to secular music, you're insane. I remember one time I went to Dutch Bros in Ashland years ago. And, and I was under the conviction, personal conviction at that time, not to listen to secular music. That's just where I was. And I remember I went there and I was getting coffee from my friend and there was some cool music playing in the background. He was a Christian too. We were like on the same team. I said, dude, that's cool. Is that third day, man? Who is that? I remember, is that third day? And he said, oh no, that's Coldplay. <laughs> and I remember the feeling that went through my body. I was like, it, it, it sounded like he said, no, I'm sacrificing babies to the devil. <laughs> that's what it felt like. Because I was soaking, I was like, oh, oh no, you know. Because I had elevated my own conviction to law, to this is what it means to be a Christian. It's my preference. It's my, that's fine. You can have your preferences. But what we do is we take our preferences and we make them law, which becomes then a sin if you do that. Yesterday on Facebook, I posted on there, what are some of the weird things, religious rules you've been exposed to over the years? And in about two and a half hours, I got 140 comments on that feed. It got so combative, I had to delete it because the thing became so toxic. Evidently, I hit a nerve of some sort with the religious community on both sides because you're all rebels and you're all religious. Just don't forget that. It was as if I threw some meat to a bunch of piranhas. You know, and I get, some, I get some good action on Facebook. I see, you know, it works for me, but this was crazy. My wife, I was out fishing in the ocean, and I had cell reception. My wife texted me. She said, hey, that, that post you put on there is getting a lot of action. You, might, you, know, you should take it down. You know, I was like, okay, screenshot everything because I want to see that stuff. You know? but, and so she did that for me, and I deleted that bad boy. But, but some of the crazy things that people were told as kiddos growing up in legalistic families, you can't do this. God doesn't approve of that. And that's demonic and that's dangerous. Those are all preferences, but there's certain rules that were put upon certain people that then, listen, keep you from knowing Jesus. They, they keep you in fear. Jesus is kind of, he's mad here. He's mad at the religious people because they're keeping people, when in reality you would think religion is going to get you closer to God, it does the exact opposite. Just like rebellion does the exact opposite, does not get you closer to God either. Both of them are antithesis of getting closer to God. And Jesus is against both. He says, hey, put me in, how about I be the light? Put me in the middle. I'll tell you what to do. I've already done it. It's right here. Let's do it. My family and I grew up in Minnesota a little bit, three years. 
we began homeschooling there, and homeschool was kind of new at the time, and, you know, it had just been recently released, released from communist Russia, and, and uh, I kid, I kid, but that's kind of what it was like, and so we were doing that, and there were some other organizations that my family used that led us into some legalism during those years, uh, ATIA and Bill Gothard Ministries and some crazy stuff, and there were rules that even my mom was a homeschool mom had to wear a dress at home while homeschooling us, like, we weren't even in public, like, you can't wear pants, and all this stuff, and my dad was on the phone one day with one of the guys there, and they were asking about, like, how we entertain ourselves and where we spend our money and all this. And my dad's like, you're asking a lot of personal questions here. Like, this sounds like a cult. And the guy hung up on him, and they never called us back again. Like, they were gone. They weren't there anymore. And this legalism has been something that we've all experienced to a degree. And I'm not going to get into the Facebook posts and all that. You can uh, just, whatever, it's, it's, it's uh, neither here nor there. But there are certain things that we raise uh, higher than what God would have us to, and it becomes sinful. Now, let me just give you the two basic flavors of sin. You can pick your flavor today and tomorrow and the rest of your life. Here's the two basic flavors of sin. I've already pointed them out clearly. The first flavor is, is not keeping his rules. I'm just not going to do it. I'm a rebel. That's a sin. Stop it. Then, then the other flavor of sin is I'm going to add to his rules. He says, that's a sin. Stop it. Don't do that either. And I'm so thankful that the Lord addresses both camps in the scriptures. That he doesn't just hammer on one, let the other ones go. It's like the story of the prodigal son. You got the prodigal son who's just a, an idiot, a total rebel, just goes nuts. And the Lord loves him. The Lord sacrifices, you know, gives him the fatted calf. But then there's the other brother, the legalist, the rule keeper. He comes in and cries about it. Oh, I never left you. I've always been here. I'm, a, I'm the perfect son. And the dad's equally committed to him. The dad says, you know what you've had this whole time? Me. You've never lacked one thing in your life. What are you, what are you complaining about? You're both, I'm committed to both you guys and your well-being. I don't hate one and love the other. I love you both, and I hate what you're doing. I hate the rebelliousness in your heart. I want to be the light. I hate the religion in your heart. I want you to let go of that and let me be the light. Okay, so religious people, first of all, they shut their eyes to the light. They don't want it. Secondly, they add to the rules. They make new rules, and they produce things that were never there. This happens in all kinds of standards. Again, you have your own preferences, but when your preference becomes law, you become an offense. I'll use a couple uh, by illustration. Let's talk about alcohol. Everyone in here has an opinion about alcohol, a preference about alcohol. Some of you think alcohol is a sin, and at that point, you take your preference then and raise it up to what God does not say. Okay, there's ultra-conservative people. It's, an, it's a sin to drink. Let me just tell you what it is a sin to do. It's a sin to get drunk. It's a sin to cause other people to stumble. It's a sin to be brought into subjection to anything else. It, it, it's a sin to drink and drive, to underage drink, all that stuff, to break the rules. That's a sin. But if you say today it's a sin to drink alcohol, you're an offense to God. There's actually some people who say when Jesus turned water into wine, it wasn't wine. It was actually Welch's grape juice. <laughs> really? Why? Well, because it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been wine. But it says it's wine, but it couldn't have been. Why not? Because it's illegal, you know, made a rule. Jesus doesn't condone drunkenness, okay? As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches against drunkenness. It's be very, very careful, okay? Wine is a mocker. It'll, it'll, it'll grab you and slam you down hard. But when you say, no, it's a sin, careful. You're in the religious camp. You're creating your own rules. The Lord's going to come to your house, and he's going to knock and say, you want to talk? Heard you're putting burdens on people. Let's talk about smoking cigarettes, Smoking cigarettes. People think that's a sin. Okay? Well, that's your preference. The Bible doesn't talk about smoking cigarettes as a sin. My preference is I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't like cigarettes. I don't like the way it smells. It's expensive. All the rest. It causes damage. It causes cancer. All this, there's, that's, my, that's my belief. But if I say it's a sin for you to smoke cigarettes, you're under church discipline. You can't go to serve here. You can't do anything here. 
the Lord's going to come knock on my door. Luke, what are you doing? Well, they're smoking. And the Lord's going to ask me, what were they smoking? Cigarettes. And the Lord's going to remind me, that's better than what they were smoking last week. You know. <laughs> Give them a break. They're growing. You know? And we love to judge people. I can't believe she's wearing that. And somebody else might say, she's wearing something? That's good. You know, that's good for her. She's growing. She's growing. Pray for her, you know. Buy her a sweatshirt. Do something, you know. But we all have our standards, don't we? This is the law. You can't while you wear Oh, you must be. Whatever. Really? And the Lord's going to knock and say, hey, just because you didn't wash your hands, I'm sinful. Or because you did, you're clean. Oh, no. And the Lord doesn't want us to take our preference and elevate it too high. This happens in all kinds of things. Uh, diets, people read the scriptures or they look at animal rights and you become a vegan or a vegetarian. You think this is it. If you're anything but a vegetarian or a vegan, you're, you know, you're guilty of murder and all this. And that could be your opinion and your preference. But when you put in his law against somebody and you all of a sudden attack anybody who likes to eat a Big Mac or whatever the case is, God's going to knock on your door and say, really? Or, or maybe when it comes to education, you see this with some homeschool families. And the Bible says to take care of your kids, raise them up. doesn't say how though doesn't say how. There's lots of methods. And there are homeschool families that get crazy and think, oh you, oh, you send your kids to the government school? Oh, yeah, that's a sin. That's a sin. No, it's not a sin, you know. And these, these moms and dads can get crazy. And you pick your preference. What is it? What is it for you that you are legalistic about? Outside of God's law. God's law, it's there. It's clear. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your preference. Jesus shows up to this dinner and says, guys, knock it off. It's a teachable moment for him. As a matter of fact, look at verse 39. Jesus, his first words at the table says, Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones. In other places, Jesus says, Don't call someone a fool, uh, apparently, unless they're a fool. <laughs> right here. Foolish ones. Did not he who make the outside, make the inside also stop right there as appears. It's a very simple illustration. Jesus says, You're cleaning the outside. That's all you care about, what you look like. Your, your big hat, your big Pharisee hat, and your big Pharisee jacket, and your big Pharisee hand-washing thing. Don't you know that the same God that made the outside, he made the inside? But your insides are full of wickedness and greed. Inside is worse than the outside, and you guys are more concerned about the outside. This is all of us, by the way. We're all concerned about how we look and what people think about us. It's called your reputation. Every one of us, especially you have a Facebook account. You're concerned deeply about your reputation. You know, your profile, how many friends you have, what people think of you. That's your reputation. Can I just say something? Your reputation is secondary to your character, your actual inner parts. And if your inner parts, your character, is what you're worried about, your reputation will take care of itself. I'm not even worried about it. But if you're more concerned about what people think, eh, wickedness and greed dwells within. But if you're concerned with the wickedness and greed that you all have and that I have too, the outside's going to take care of itself. Worry about the inside. Reminds me about that story in the book of Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. You guys remember the story. They sold their house and gave it to the church and they told the church that they sold it for this amount and gave them this amount, okay? They didn't have to sell their house. They didn't have to give anything to the church. Peter said, you guys didn't have to do any of this. Why'd you do this? The problem was is that they said they sold it for X and gave X to the church, the same amount. And Peter says, you guys didn't give the full amount. You didn't even have to, but you said you did. You lied to the Holy Spirit. You should have just kept the money and not even gave anything. Now you're going to die. Do you know why they died? It wasn't greed and selfishness. It was hypocrisy. They wanted to appear more spiritual than they were. And I have been teaching that story for almost 20 years. And every time I consider their plight, their problem, they wanted to appear more spiritual than they were. 
my, I'm convicted. Because I want you to think I'm more spiritual than I really am. I just, there's something perverse in my heart. I want you to think I'm more holy, more righteous than, than I really am. And so I'll do things, and you'll do things in order to appear that way. Someone might come down the stairs, and your Bible's closed. And, oh, oh, yeah, oh, I was just reading. Crazy. Here I am, you know. Or somebody comes in to your, you know, drive through and you turn Coldplay off and turn third down. Oh, hey, I was just jamming out to Jesus tunes, man, you know. What are you doing? And we're, we're all hypocrites, okay? How you respond, these guys are getting called out. They're going to defend themselves and then they're going to attack him. That's how the story goes. If you're here today and you're a rebel, don't defend yourself. Don't attack him. If you're a religious here today, you got your own rules, and you're not satisfied in what Jesus has done alone, you're an offense. Don't defend yourself and don't attack Jesus. Today, you need to just settle and say, oh, Lord, I'm guilty of both. I, I do that, and my, my insides are all jacked up. We spend so much time worried about everything on the outside, but the Lord's looking at the inside. Look at verse 42. He says something crazy. Verse 41, I should say. He says, rather, instead of worrying about the outside and ignoring the inside, rather give alms of such things as you have. In other words, he says, give of the inside. And then indeed, all things will be clean to you. If you just focus on what's going on inside, everything on the outside will be taken care of automatically. If you're more concerned about your actual character than the people's impression around you, your impression of people around you will be taken care of just fine. Verse 42, he says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and you pass by justice and ought to have done without leaving the other things undone. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus calls them out now in the way they give. Because he knew how they gave. You know how Jesus knew how they gave? Because they made sure everyone knew how they gave. Okay? Giving to them was public. I want you to know how much I gave. Why? Because it makes me feel clean. makes me feel better. makes me feel righteous. And Jesus says, I've even noticed that when you guys give, you give from your spice racks. Like, you guys are so nuts. You bring your, your, your rosemary and your dill weed, and you're like, oh, 10, 10% for the Lord, 90% for me, one poppy seed for the Lord, 10, nine poppy seeds for me. It's like, what are you doing? I think we're so, we're, and, and I think the implication is that it's so exact. Lord, here's the exact decimal point of what I'm supposed to give. Here it is. And then he says, but the justice and the love you totally ignored. And there are people who give religiously in that way of whatever time, talent, treasure, and yet their hearts are closed off towards those who need compassion and mercy. And the Lord says, I'm not into your rosemary, your dillweed. You bring your dillweed like that, you look like a dillweed. Knock it off, you know. What are you doing? I don't need, I'd rather you do, be nice to people. He, he says here in this text, I'm not going to teach on, on tithing, but he says you should do both. Tithe, okay, give. But don't give without loving. Did you know this? Did you know that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving? Religious people give without loving. Easy. Here's my check. Here's my thing. I'm going to support Rotary. I'm going to support this. I'm going to support WWF. I'm going to support PBS. I'm going to support the YMCA. I'm going to support South Beach Church. Do you love anybody? Nope. Don't love anybody. Don't need to. Wrote a check. Whoa. Crazy. But over here, I love, I love people. I love everyone. So, so to give to Rotary and to PBS and to the rec center and to YMCA and South Beach, it's, it's not a problem because I love people. He says, That's, you should do both. Don't do one without the other. Don't give and not love, but you can't love and not give. If you love, you focus on what's going on, you're just going to be nice. You're going to be generous. You're going to be kind. That's what Jesus is getting after. These guys, 
freaks me out. These are the rulers, the leaders, the church guys, the biggest, most authoritative people in the religious system right then. And Jesus says, you don't even love anybody. And they're like, yeah, but we're super exact on our law. He's like, I don't care at all. And by the way, Jesus had his hands in the taters still, you know, right then. Like, he hadn't even washed yet. He's still taters everywhere. He's like, deal with it. <laughs> uh, Jesus could see their, their hearts. The heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. Look at verse 43. These guys were so in love with their position. This is what religious people want. It says, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. You guys just love being in charge. You love everyone saying, oh, there he comes, the big hat and the big thing. And they just loved that. Imagine Jesus Christ, the opposite of these guys. He's the creator of the world. He is the shepherd. He shows up. He's born of a virgin in Nazareth, okay? I'm sorry, in Bethlehem, and then lives in Nazareth. He's like so off the beaten path. Can anything good come from Nazareth? is the, the quote about him. Jesus, who actually deserved to have the highest place at the table and like the biggest hat, if they're giving out hats, if hats matter, you know, the biggest religious symbol. Jesus is like, I don't need any of that. You guys, that's all you care about. It's nuts. And you pass over love and justice. You pass over the people who, who I'm here to actually minister to. Verse 44, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you're like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. This is insane. Again, this indictment towards religious people surprises me. I want it to surprise you as well, because if this came towards the drug dealers, toward the weirdos, the thugs, and the bullies, and the terrorists, I could get behind it easier. Man, you guys are make, you're making everything bad. You're like a hidden grave to people. What does that mean? In that day, they would, like our day, mark their graves lest people would walk over them inadvertently. In our day, it's out of respect. We don't want to do that. In their day, it would render you unclean. If you accidentally walked over a grave, you're like, oh, dude, my dad's buried there. Now you can't go to church for a week. And it's like, oh, man. And Jesus is saying, what you guys are doing is you're making people unclean. You're, you're, you're not helping. You're actually hindering. Your religious system is evil. Whoa. Yeah. I remember one time I was talking to this Unitarian universalist gal for whatever reason i might have had too much coffee i don't remember but i just was talking very you know open-mindedly and i said you guys should probably stop using the word church behind unitarian universalist church you guys shouldn't use that word anymore and she was so mad she said, why not and i said well because you guys aren't a church i said the word church means ecclesia it's a greek word it means called out from the world separated unto and for god's purposes that's what the word church means and you guys are kind of just doing whatever you want and at, at that point the conversation was over she left we were done but uh, i just you're not helping people I'm not trying to be mean, but a universalist, Unitarian church believes all things are okay. It just, no, it's, it's a religion. And religion leads people away from God, away from Jesus, and on their way to hell. Jesus could have toned this way down. He could have been, hey, where's that water at? I'm not trying to you know, freak anybody out. Really want some taters too, so I'm going to wash. And, you know, we're not going to pick any bones. He sits down. says, you guys are jacked up, and you're hurting people. You're like unmarked graves rendering everybody unclean and taking them to hell. Verse 45. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, this is where the answer comes. This is the response. This could be good or bad, your choice. This could be like, oh, teacher, wow, tell us more. Or you deny and defend. He says this, teacher, by these sayings, you reproach us also. Okay, stop right there and eyes up here. This is crazy to me. One of the lawyers stops Jesus. 
And it's as if he's talking with his buddies. He's like, hey, he's talking to the Pharisees, but we're in trouble now too. He's making fun of us. He's stepping on our feelings. And this is what happens to religious people and rebellious people. Is the law comes out, the light gets turned on and your feelers get hurt. Oh man, I hit my feelings. You told me I was wrong. You told me I was a sinner. You told me I was a rebel. You told me that this is illegitimate. I gotta stop this. And instead of going with your feelings, you should go with the truth. And yet this guy's like, you know what, Jesus? We just had a meeting over there and your words are hurtful. You hurt our feelings. You stepped on our toes, Jesus. I mean, look at Tom. Tom's over here crying. His dad was a Pharisee. His grandpa was a Pharisee. And you know, we're going to give you an opportunity to, to apologize to Tom. Not, not, no one's perfect. And so we're going to just give you an opportunity to just kind of like, I don't know, wash your hands maybe, get him out of the taters and, and apologize. And Jesus has an opportunity. And he says, oh, 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 I offended the lawyers too? And I imagine Jesus looking around. Anybody else that I did not offend yet? Who else is here? And so Jesus goes and he turns it up a notch. Verse 46, and he said, woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, that you yourselves do not touch in burdens with one, that you do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. He says, you guys are the ones who are adding rules to the rules. You're the ones making, you don't even do them yourself. So many crazy rules. And again, on Facebook, it was nuts yesterday. All these people had all kinds of crazy legalistic ways that they were raised and all this stuff. And we still put those on people. Jesus says, knock it off. You don't even obey those rules. Verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness and you approve of the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and persecute. Stop right there. Eyes up here. This is crazy. Jesus is now recalling the past. He's saying all the prophets and apostles that have been sent to you, you guys killed them, your, your dads did, because they came with the truth too. And you guys who've read the Old Testament, you know that, the different kings of Israel and the leadership teams and the prophets would show up and say, guys, you're all out of whack and God's over here and you're over there. And they'd be like, really? And they'd kill the guy. And they killed all the prophets. And now in history, they're saying, yeah, let's build some tombs for those guys. Those guys were all right. And they're justifying the killing that happened back then and the ignorance of the words received by those prophets by putting shrines up and saying, yeah, I appreciate that dead guy over there. Let's make a, let's make a place for him. And Jesus is saying, you don't appreciate him. And they didn't appreciate him then also. You're just making excuses for yourself. Look at verse 51. And he says this. This is where he brings Abel into the situation. He says, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is crazy. Jesus says, from the very first person that was murdered through religion to the very last person that was murdered through religion, Abel, Zechariah, A through Z, everyone's been killed. Through what? Religion. You guys remember Abel, right? Abel was the very first guy to die in the scriptures. Abel was killed by a religious man, Cain, his brother. Cain and Abel both were worshipers. One became religious and killed the other. They were both worshipers. You guys know the story. Abel shows up worshiping the Lord. Hey, look what I've done. I've raised this sheep. It's for you. It's a sacrifice. And the Lord's like, dude, not only do I see your sheep, I see your heart. And he saw Abel's heart. He's like, yeah. Cain showed up worshiping the Lord. Look what I've done. I raised this fruit and vegetables and it's the produce for you. And the Lord was able to look at the stuff and he looked at his heart. He says, I don't think you're actually worshiping with your heart. You're worshiping with your stuff. 
And I'm able to, I'm God, so I know. I'm able to see through. And so I'm not going to accept your sacrifice because it's not from your heart. It's just from the outside. And instead of reacting rightly, Cain then rose up and killed Abel. It was a religious murder. The very beginning, this legalistic society. This is what's born in each one of us and what we deal with. And Jesus is there to undo it and to eventually die for it. Verse 52, final words from Jesus. He says, woe to you lawyers. For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. Wow. Legalism. More rules. Keeping people away from understanding who God is. Burden-bearing, judgmental, hypocritical, non-loving, self-serving, pride-pursuing. He says, this is what religion does. It keeps people away. Imagine this, Jesus just looking at these guys. The religious people, the leaders of that community that had the books memorized, they knew the prophets' names, they had the history down. He says, you know what you've done? You've kept people from the key of knowledge. And those who were about to enter in, you hindered them. Ah, yeah, I don't know if you belong there. You know, did you do this? Did you get that? Did you get circumcised? Did you you wash 25 times? You know, can you pray in King James? No, not yet. Well, you're not allowed. You know, whatever whatever the religious stance is. You go swimming on Sundays? Oh, you know. Do you eat fish sticks on Fridays? Oh, you can't come in, you know. You wear, you're a woman, you wear pants? Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, we're not doing that here, you know. What? what are you talking about? And all of a sudden, people, listen, people, people, people here, people outside, you know what they say about God and Jesus? I don't want anything to do with him. Why would they say that? Because of religion. That's, just, that's it. Is it because of what Jesus did for them on the cross? That's, no, that's not what turns them off. Is it because of the love of God and the kindness of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God? Is that what turns them off? No. It's because of lawyers, Pharisees, legalists, churches, people like me, people like you, who put burdens on people that Jesus never intended to put on them. This is a big deal. Jesus is here seeking and saving the rebels, the crazy, the carnal, the weirdos, for sure. But then he also sees the damage done through religion. I believe it was Gandhi. I do not know. I couldn't find the quote last night. Who said, Jesus I like. It's his followers I fear. Now, I take offense to that. I, I, I personally take that, oh, what's that mean? What's that mean? I'm a follower. And I think you need to be very mature with a teaching like this and say, okay, what's this mean? What's this mean? What's this mean? You pick a camp. Which one are you in more, rebel or religious? And what would the Lord say to you? He says to these guys, your religion is keeping people from getting saved. Now, these guys could repent. They could... They could react right. Look at verse 53. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. Wow. Have you seen somebody react this way? By the way, rebels and religious both react this way when you point out their idols. When you point out something that has taken the precedence of God in their life, this is more important to you than God is, whatever it is, whether it's this activity, this identity, this thing I will not let go of. And you say, well, I think you might want to consider letting go of that. You know, and say, whoa, sorry about that. Meat to a piranha. Or a religious person. You say, I don't know if we need to do that, and that's probably not against the rules, and that's just, whoa, you know, all of a sudden. People defend their idols, and we see this religiously throughout the years, to the death. It's crazy. Absolutely nuts. And people will disband from relationships and fellowships with each other. Here's a few questions in closing. 
These guys could have received Jesus' teaching. They could have received grace, but they can't handle it. They get it all wrong. They're not going to change their ways. They become critics. So what do we do? Here's a question. Where do you, where do you get your righteousness? Where's it from? Is it from what you do or from what he's done? If it's from what he's done and the righteousness is a gift, not of works, lest anyone should boast, it will lead to more works of righteousness from him. He'll lead you in good works, Ephesians 2.10. He has gifted you. But if it's you and your good works, the Bible says this, even your good works apart from God's grace are filthy rags to him. Did you you know that? The religious, universalitarian, universalist, unitarian, that person, or the whatever, or the... Anybody over here doing stuff on their own? Feeding the poor, clothing the naked, visiting the jailed? Not for God's glory and by God's power. God says, that's offensive to me. What? It's offensive to me. It's prideful. It's arrogant. It's foolish. Whoa, 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 whoa. But I thought I was doing right. Well, you're not doing it the right way. The outside, wow, sparkly clean. The inside, it's full of dung. To quote Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul? Philippians chapter 3, he tells the story. He says, guys, by the way, I'm more religious than anybody here. I was born right, and I lived right, better than anybody. That's what he says. I was born of the right tribe, had the right training. I did more for everybody than anybody will ever do for anybody. What? And then he goes on to say, but now that I met Jesus, it's all dung, rubbish. There's nothing in what I have ever done compared to what he has done for me. And it's the righteousness that comes from Jesus. And if, that's, if you settle into that, it's going to do two things to the rebel and to the, rebel, to the religious. It's going to bring you to the middle. It's going to bring you to worship. You're going to stop with your sin and your rebellion, your, 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 your little games, your little games that you're playing right now with the Lord. Well, I don't want him to take over. I, 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 you know, okay. Stop. If you understand who Jesus is, you'll stop with your games. You'll get in the road. You'll stop. And you'll also stop with your religious system of pride and arrogance that is offensive to him and binding to others. And you'll get to be with Jesus. All of this happens when you look to him and him alone, Christos alone, solo Christor. And I'll tell you what right now, we're going to invite the worship team to come and lead us in a song, and we're going to take communion because that's what we do every day, uh, every Sunday we gather because it reminds us how this all works through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul was so religious that he was there when the very first Christian was killed. And he gave his nod of approval. He said, yeah, kill that guy. Kill that Christian. A couple months later, maybe even days later, Paul was arrested by Jesus and had his life changed. And for 13 years, he in the desert learned from Jesus about the wealth and the riches and the purpose of the cross. That when God looked at the cross, he was satisfied. He's not satisfied in anything you'll do. Well, that's offensive. He's not impressed with any effort you'll put forth. That's offensive. Instead, God is impressed with Jesus Christ. And he says, that's where you need to get. He is the light of the world. Let him be the light. Stop making your own light. Stop making your rules. Stop putting all your things on other people and yourself. Instead, get under Jesus in his work. And then you'll be liberated. And then your life will produce good fruit. And then you'll be righteous. And then you'll walk. And you'll serve. And you'll talk. And from the inside out, you'll do both things. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. Father, we repent right now. All the rebels and all the religious together collectively we repent we say lord we don't know what we're doing please help us
Please forgive us for our sin, for our games, for our stuff, our rebellion, and all the carnality. Forgive us. May we come to Jesus now and repent of those things and not walk that way, but instead walk with Jesus. And for those who are religious, more concerned about what they can do and who they are and how they look and what they've done, Lord, we repent of all that pride, that hidden pride, that masked pride, that secret pride. We repent of that. And we find our worth, our value, our peace, our joy right now and forevermore in Jesus and Jesus alone. It is in Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus. And we ask that you'd be honored as we come to the table and partake of the broken body and the spilt blood of our Savior. That is enough. It's done. And I pray, God, you'd be honored in that. And all the shackles of rebellion and religion will be broken today. And we'd be nearer to you and more full of you and less of ourselves. And we do what we do now in Jesus' name. Amen.